I would say really being on your own is different because you have to manage all that. Like I'm saying, the energy, your schedule, there's no more infrastructure for you that you can just plug in and all that's kind of, you're this cog of a wheel. So I think really reflecting and knowing yourself and being honest about yourself, kind of like I was that I learned during that process. Welcome to the Active Advisor Podcast, brought to you by Harbor Capital. Join us as we learn from pros who have helped thousands of investors live better lives. I'm Brian Moore, and I'll be chatting with some of the brightest minds in the financial advisory business, bringing you insights on practice management and investment research that works for advisors and their clients. Joining me today on this episode of the Active Advisor Podcast is Tunde Ongulana, CFS CES. Tunde founded Axial Family Advisors in 2015 after having spent his career employed by one of the world's largest financial service firms. As a family wealth advisor who focuses on serving his clients in all aspects of their lives, Tunde's goal is for harmony to be maintained across the spectrum of financial issues facing today's families. Outside of work, Tunde has had extensive community and nonprofit involvement throughout his career serving on many boards and committees. He currently serves as a member of the Board of Governors for the Museum of Art, Fort Lauderdale. Tunde is also known for his NCAA Division I basketball career while in college at Florida International University. He lives in Fort Lauderdale, Florida with his wife and three children. Welcome Tunde and thanks for joining us. Definitely, thank you for having me. I like that, I always ask, People fall into this business or people gravitate towards it, but either way, there's one event or something that kind of is the nexus around that. What is your first memory that you have related to money or investing? Um, that's a great question. I thought about that when I was preparing, and I don't have really any uh, early memories, like five or six years old or anything like that. Um, my memories of kind of the childhood were more that my mom was not good with money. And I love my mom to death, and she, unfortunately, we lost her in 2015. But um, we were very close. She was a great mom. But one thing that she wasn't very confident in, let me put it that way, uh, was her finances. So I grew up in a house where, you know, unfortunately, single mom, we were living check to check. And I mean, we were never poor or anything like that. But it was just, it was always a struggle for my mom. You know, and if we took maybe one trip a year in the summer to go somewhere, that was like a luxury for us. So I think part of my desire and interest in learning about money in general and then segueing to investing and all that was I knew that I didn't want to follow that same path. So from a young age, I began to get interested in finance. I just didn't have any guides. So I would say my first entry was at university, which is you know a great plug for education. I got exposed to some stuff and I joined um, the Financial Management Association at FIU and the Investment Club. And because one of my good friends at the time was a finance major, and um, I was actually pre-med when I started college and, you know, chemistry wasn't my friend. So I made my way over to the business school eventually, but at the time I still wasn't in finance yet. And so it was one of the things that got me interested in it. And so, so I still, you know, I was a regular broke kid in college. So I really started investing. Uh, what was great was in my early 20s, I've been in the industry since I was 22 years old. And, um, you know, when I started making money, um, I opened a Roth IRA, I opened a cash value life insurance policy, um, you know, I was funding my 401k and all these were small amounts, $100 here, 150 there. And, um, and I also bought my first condo uh, when I was 23, because I had, I remember I had 14 grand saved in the bank and I was a lot more money back then. And I had a choice, I could buy a new car. I always liked Mercedes. 
or I could buy a piece of real estate. And that investor side of me said, okay, the car is going to be worth less than five to 10 years, but the property might not be. And um, it was great because it was just before um, the boom in the early 2000s in South Florida real estate. So I was, I was able to allow that to catapult my financial life going forward. So is, I wouldn't say it's because I'm a genius. I would say it was great timing and I was lucky. I was in the right place at the right time. So what happened was around my early 30s, I started really getting into and getting nerdy about our industry and really enjoying it, but feeling limited because, you know, the big company I was working for said, no, Tuna, you can't talk about real estate. You can't talk about art. This is not what we do. And remember with emails, our compliance department was very good. <laughs> so oh, yeah. if I sent some emails saying, hey, you know, you know, you, we should consider some real estate there. I would get some compliance thing. Well, you shouldn't be talking about it. You're not a licensed realtor. And I'm like, well, I'm not trying to broker the transaction. I'm just trying to put them and tell, you know. So fast forward, um, I was on also uh, a large team. We had a very good thing going. I think it was about 12 of us between staff and advisors. And at our peak, I think was 2012. We had um, about half a billion, I think, in total AUM. And, um, you know, we had, um, unfortunately, we were all younger and probably a little more hot-headed. And so we butted heads and by 2013 or 2014, I was on my own in within still the same big firm. I just decided, you know, I'm out of here. At that time, um, our youngest was starting to be old enough that he was able to do daycare and all that. And my wife was an entrepreneur as, as well. She, she had her own graphic design business and she comes from that world, the advertising world, but her clients were primarily real estate firms. And, you know, in 08, 09, that all dried up. So our youngest was born in 2011, and it was the first time because now we were older and, you know, had some means that she could actually stay home and be a mom for a little while and enjoy that. So once he was around two, uh, that's why I say by 2013, and he's going to daycare, she's starting to get bored and antsy, and I had left his team. So I basically one day threw a laptop at her and said, hey, if you're getting bored and antsy and I'm on my own now, I need help. And I had no idea how it would be working with my spouse. And I thought we'd kill each other, but, you know, it worked out well, made the marriage better, all that kind of stuff. And, um, and she started enjoying having her role in the firm. Um, she's not a licensed advisor like me talking to clients about investment, but she does a lot of things behind the scenes. And so what happens is, you know, we were working hard and I was still doing well with my clients. And, you know, I'd say all the clients that I brought into the practice when we were a bigger team, they all came with me. So I was still okay, you know, financially and with a practice. And so my wife and I just started through all those experiences. I just started saying, you know, what am I doing in this environment if I believe that I should be able to talk to clients about wider things than just paper assets? And I never looked down on any of the financial firms. That's why I don't want to name them or who I worked for. Well, because yeah. out of respect, no, none of them are better than the other. Uh, Merrill's not better than Morgan. Morgan's not better than E-Trade. You know, the way I look at it is, they're all publicly traded. And if I was a shareholder of these firms, I wouldn't want advisors talking about art and other stuff either. I'd want them only selling, you know, paper assets. So I just realized it's not about being mad at the industry or anything like that. It's just our, our interests no longer align now that I've matured. So I was, you know, of course, talking at home about the idea of starting our own firm. And the fact my wife had already been an entrepreneur, she was not scared of that. And um, I just started slowly approaching some of my largest clients. And just asking him straight up, hey, you know, if I went on my own, how would you feel? And all of them just said, hey, man, we're, we're invested in you, not the brand name on your door. 
So if you leave, we're following. And that's what gave me the confidence that in 2015, I, um, I made that move to become an entrepreneur. Very nice. Very nice. It's been great to, to hear your story. And, and I know just kind of looking online and talking internally and externally, yeah, you've had some great success and wishing you many more uh, years of that. And then, so it's been about eight years. Um, what's next? My focus now is I'm kind of also, I'm middle-aged, you know, and I'm kind of in this phase of life is just kind of thinking about the next 10 to 15 years. Um, I'm in the process of a buyout, actually, where I'm buying another gentleman's practice out. And um, interesting story, he's 74 years old, and he started his career at Merrill uh, in 1976 on Wall Street. So he's a great, he's a great guy, he's 48, uh, what was that, 48 years in the business. And um, so great knowledge. And we are um, together from 2020. And our, our agreement, our buy-sell agreement ends uh, at the end of next year, December 31st of 24. So after that, he sails off into the sunset. I inherit the entire, you know, his practice and, and combined with mine. So I've, I have been thinking about that because um, one of the things that I'm, <laughs> we ebb and flow through life. I was really liking getting out of the big shop and the big environment of, of, of the big companies. But, you know, I haven't played basketball. You know, I'm a team player and I'm kind of getting lonely just doing all this by myself. So I think when my partner Al leaves, um, you know, I may either look to acquire a practice myself that would have maybe advisors in it yeah. or maybe merge my practice into a bigger practice and be, you know, a smaller fish in a bigger pond, but just have some sort of team infrastructure. Because one thing I've learned about myself, and this is very specific over the eight years, is uh, I say this with a smile. I'm an entrepreneur that doesn't like running a business. I've learned that about myself. We had a bigger shop when we started. I had partners. And I learned that I really didn't like dealing with the company stuff internally, you know, whether it's motivating people, whether it's dealing with, um, you know, just when people butt heads between each other, because I was seen as the guy who brought everyone together, the leader. So, of course, everyone's always coming to me when they have an issue. And what I started getting stressed out about was, yeah, you know, all these internal talks I'm having, I'm actually not you know, I'm not doing what I enjoy. I really enjoy clients. I'm a technician, you know, I'm a nerd at the end of the day, and I'm happy to, to say that. So um, that was a big learning curve for me, that um, as a guy who always thought he wanted to be some kind of big shot business owner, that I have no interest in being at the top of a pyramid with 100 people under me and, you know, being that guy. And so I realized in my journey that if I do at some point, you know, whether merge or buy someone or anything like that, that I want to have someone else be the visionary of whatever we end up building together. I don't want to be that guy. I want to continue to just focus on client work and just continue going that direction. No, man, I think, you know, it's great to hear you talk about and, you know, with confidence about this is what I want to do. I mean, this is where I know I add value. This is where I feel most comfortable. And I think that's one of the things starting in, in the business around the same time. Um, you know, I've tried to develop them and work on humility as well. And, and it sounds like you've gotten that. And I think that's really a good trademark, um, you know, for people, you know, that are going to succeed in this environment today. Yeah. That's awesome. The Wall Street of old of the 80s and 90s is, you know, and even early 2000s is, is past. And one of the things that kind of, you know, I may be taking a leap here, but, you know, kind of with your, I guess, humility and, and kind of your wantingness to kind of be involved with people. Um, is that one of the things that's kind of led you to be heavily involved in a lot of the not-for-profits? And has any of that, any of those organizations inspired any aspect of your business offering? 
Yeah, great question. I think there's, there's probably various reasons why I decided to get involved. I mean, like I said about using the word um, altruistic, you know, I was always raised by my mom and, 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 you know, my family in general to just be giving and be kind, you know, all that kind of stuff, right? Like, I remember being 10 years old and helping somebody push their car out uh, across the street. I grew up in Washington, D.C. because um, we were at the grocery store and I was waiting outside for my mom and this guy was stuck and he gave me a $10 bill. And I was excited. I go, mom, this guy, you know, I helped him move his car. You know, it was a couple of us kids, you know, he gave us all 10 bucks. And she told me, she goes, no, you give that, you go back and give that man his money back. And I was like, what's up, mom? She goes, no, you did a good deed. Not everything you do to help someone needs to be for money. And, you know, I wasn't happy, but as a child, you get that stuff ingrained in you enough. You just realize, you know, it's part of being in this, in this planet, you know, we should help other people and and spend at least Mm -hmm. some of our time doing that. Maybe not the whole time, maybe, you know, maybe not no time, but sometime. So I think that's a natural part of it. And the other part, of course, you know, I went through the regular training, like I'm sure you did and everyone else, right? Not only just write down everybody who, you know, you can breathe on that, you know, but also join some kind of nonprofit, right? In your local area. So, I mean, it was partly all that. Um, One of the things that I always did, and I'm glad I got, I feel like I got trained by the right people in the industry. They never said, you know, just go into some nonprofit and try and squeeze everything out. They were very upfront, you know, go to something that you care about. Um, You know, don't try and go and solicit business immediately. Really don't ever try, just show up and the business will come naturally, you know, all that kind of coaching. And that's what I did. And that's what happened. You know, I never went in there swinging an ax about who I am and all that. I just showed up, got on some boards, worked. And sometimes I got business and a lot of times I did it. And it's just, you know, so that's pretty much that story. No, that's great. That's great. And uh, it sounds like definitely we may have had the same mom. Uh, we be like, mom, why am I getting, well, yes, ma'am. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Okay. <laughs> um, so sounds like family and giving back is very important to you, uh, which I know I admire. And, and, you know, I think more of the world needs to be that way. Um, but I, I can't help but think that that somehow intentionally kind of helped, you know, you craft your business plan to kind of mirror a family office structure and kind of experience for people. Did that, any of that upbringing and kind of desire, did you actually see kind of a, a window of opportunity that people, that Wall Street and kind of financial advisory firms weren't? you know, basically kind of going after clients like that? Or was that really just kind of a natural following from your... Here's a good question. It was a natural progression from what I shared earlier about just my desire to grow more than just the paper assets. Well, this is bigger than just, you know, selling annuities and life insurance and stocks and ETFs. This is really about planning for someone in their life. You know what I mean? And so that's kind of what morphed me into that guy that ended up being the 2015 guy. (laughs) So with that kind of really looking at everybody kind of as a whole in the family unit offering, um, I know you've talked about you know, your Pisces, you know, it's kind of drew you, led you to art. And I know you, even, you know, going through your website and kind of reading some of the things that you've written about, you also have kind of a commercial real estate offering at Axial. Uh, if you wouldn't mind, maybe talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I got to be very cheerful. I'll say that because I'm a Series 7 licensed and compliant. So I don't have an offering that I do or we do at all. I apologize. Um, yeah, no, it's okay. I just want to be very clear on that. Um, what we have is we have a commercial broker. Okay. That is part of our team. Because again, it's the same thing I've been telling you. I wanted to create a feel, just like you'll see on the website, there's an art advisor. Um, and she's an old friend of mine from undergrad who has a very successful art gallery in Miami and in the art district and does a lot with Art Basel every year and all that. So again, I'm not, I like art. I think it's cool. You know, it's, uh, it's got all the financial engineering games we can do, 
but I'm not really an expert at it. So what I wanted to do, just like I told you earlier, I believe in real estate, but I'm, I'm not going to be selling real estate. I'm not, that's not what I do, right? But what I wanted to do is create that environment that because I am a wealth manager, I'm a fiduciary, I have an advisory practice, I feel it important that I should be armed to be able to offer the clients of our, our firm things within the financial world that they may have an interest in. So, and we have, when I say a good healthy amount of clients that are interested in commercial real estate, we got a good amount that own buildings, you know, not, not huge skyscraper types, but, you know, warehouses, uh, maybe two, three stories, small offices, uh, things like that, you know, and, and also lately I've been having more clients interested in buying farms and ranches and in other parts of the country. So to have someone, um, and his name's Tim Merriman, like Tim on our site, just helps where people like you did when you go in and say, okay, this guy's just more, he's not just going to talk to me about stocks and, and, and mutual funds. They're going to talk to me about other things. And the same thing about art. We have some, um, I would say kind of up and coming millennials, if I can say it that way, you know, young people that are, you know, millennials are getting old now. They're the oldest ones are in their forties. So, you know, people that are 38, 39, uh, I've got a couple of clients that are, um, you know, at fortune 100 companies as junior executives, for example, um, others that are young partners at law firms. And so they're starting to make some good money. And so with something like art, they might be interested and say, you know, I want to put together a budget of 20,000 to buy, you know, maybe three to five pieces of art. And that's where I'm like, okay, I'm not going to be that guy trying to tell you about, you know, who's the up and coming artist, but we have someone you can talk to if you're interested in that. So that's really the purpose behind when you see those extra professionals on the site. It sounds like everything's, you know, to use a phrase, my brother, everything's humming along on all cylinders. Uh, yeah, what is your ideal next client? Is there kind of, yeah, you know, are you still focusing kind of on that entrepreneurial, you know, aspect or, um, you know? That's a great question. I want to say this too. I don't want to say, make it sound like it was all easy. No, I'm sure it wasn't. That's why I like working with entrepreneurs because I feel like as an entrepreneur myself and not no longer an employee of a financial firm, um, that I also share similar experiences like the ups and downs and the headaches. And, you know, when I was First two or three years, you know, there's times you know, I had forty dollars in the in the bank account until the next time we got paid, and you know, the kid's birthday's in two weeks, and I'm looking at my wife saying, "Hey, you know, maybe this birthday isn't going to be as good as last year." And I remember one of my wife looked at me and said, "Those kids aren't going to know we have a problem." Somehow I figured it out, and two weeks later, that birthday was fine. So it's those kind of experiences that, for me led me to enjoy, I would say, more working with entrepreneurs. I like to joke and say, I want clients that look at me like I look at my landscaper and my cleaning ladies. I am uh, astute enough to mow my lawn and to clean my house. I just don't feel like doing it. I'd rather outsource that and pay someone else. So I'd like to have clients that probably that are sophisticated enough to understand what's going on and what we're doing. Uh, that's why I love transparency. But they're just saying, because of whatever's going on in my life, either it's going to cost me more money to look the other way because I'm not working and making my main bread and butter or because I want to enjoy time with my family or my retirement and I'd rather just hire you for this to handle this stuff. Nope, I'll completely understand. Um, so we're going to kind of shift gears here. We've talked about kind of your business, why you left and kind of you know what you've been doing and focusing on. If you were now 2023, looking back, what advice would you have for someone thinking about starting their own practice? And hindsight's always twenty twenty. they tell me. I don't know. Mine's, my eyesight's still messed up, but... Yeah, mine's a little messed up too. Um, I think it's interesting because even the lumps I feel I took, I think they were necessary for me to learn and become who I am now. 
So I can't say that there's any regrets in anything. Um, I think that, um, you know, I think I learned uh, in the second, as I got older and when I started, when I had my partners at Axial in the early, in the first kind of year or two, and it wasn't working out, I think I learned from my prior experience in 2012, 2013, not to rip Band-Aids off. You know, like I kind of remember telling myself in my head, you know what? I lost, you know, I lost some old friends when I had the first breakup. And I just said to myself, you know, you need to handle this different. You know, you need to just, you know, make sure that we can settle all this down and we maintain relationships and all that. And I'm thankful that to all, all the people that were partners of the firm, I still have a, a good relationship and talk to them, you know, multiple times a year and all that. So um, I'd say maybe that goes back into just the humility and just continuing to just say, you know, I got to keep learning. You know, let me and, and maybe the self-reflection part without having as little delusion as we can as humans. Right. Because we all delude ourselves. But, you know, that took me at that time looking in the mirror and saying, you know, you know, how do I want to behave here? And also about certain things that I've learned as an entrepreneur, um, which is what I definitely would advise people is, you know, there's only so much energy, just like there's only so many hours in a day. And I've learned about myself. I'm the kind of guy that needs seven, eight hours of sleep. So I'm not like an Elon Musk or Donald Trump that can literally operate off four hours of sleep. Because I know there's probably 5% of humans that can't. If I'm going to have seven, eight hours of me being horizontal and not awake, then that means in 16 hours, I got to figure out how to spend my energy properly. And that's kind of been the biggest thing I've learned as, as an entrepreneur is that uh, we get pulled in a lot of directions and there's a lot of energy that can be wasted and that can get you into places where you feel tired and cranky and all that kind of stuff. So um, that's why I would say um, my advice wouldn't be necessarily anything um, scholastic, like, oh, make sure you learn about how, you know, this ETF for closed end fund works. I mean, that's all to me, the stuff we all should be learning anyway. And I think all of us in our industry end up focusing on certain niches that we just like. Um, but I would say really being on your own is different because you have to manage all that. Like I'm saying, the energy, your schedule, all that, there's no more, there's no more infrastructure for you that you can just plug in and all that's kind of, you're this cog of a wheel. I think really reflecting and knowing yourself and being honest about yourself, kind of like I was that I learned during that process. That's how I learned. I don't want to run a company. Yeah. I run a practice right now. And if it gets any bigger, someone else is going to run the company. <laughs> that's pretty much <laughs> Thank you so much for taking your time today. Last question for you. We at Harbor believe wholeheartedly in active management. Curious as to what your philosophy is on active management and how you may have seen it add value for your clients. No, that's a great question. Um, I do believe in active management. Um, I'm one of these people that's neutral long-term. I'm, I'm not a type of guy that takes sides on stuff like this. I like politics for me, like what's going on long-term, what's the long-term trend. And I think I'm not going to deny the stats that show that indexes over the long term tend to beat most money managers. That's why I'm not opposed to adding um, index positions to client accounts. But because of the type of clientele we have, we have a lot of pre-retirees, people that are within that five-year uh, window, and then we have people that are retired. I find the individual security selection um, very beneficial. Nope. Nope. That's excellent. Okay. Uh, how can people find you? What's your website? Do you have a social media presence? Website is www.axialfamilyadvisors.com and advisors ending in O-R-S, not E-R-S. Yeah. Um, so I'll let you take a deep breath. We're going to go to the 60 second part here. 
We're going to go to the last segment, which is 60 seconds with Tunde Ongolana, or as I like to call it, the lightning round. Are you ready, sir? I am ready, sir. Nickname? It's Tunde. Hobby? Make fighter jets, but I use the fuselage of a jet as a canvas. Favorite podcast? Would be mine, out of selfishness. Most likely place to find you, if not at work? On the boat. Profession, if you weren't an advisor? Fighter pilot. Messy desk or clean desk? Clean desk, generally. Name of your boat? Plagius. Piece of advice that applies to almost any client imaginable? Vet the professionals that you work with. Best college basketball team of the 90s? The Fat Five. Position you played in Division One basketball? Small forward. Favorite way to get active? I'm big into exercise, so I work out almost daily. Whether you're a seasoned advisor or just getting started, the Active Advisor brought to you by Harbor Capital offers professional insights for the financial advisor community. Visit us at harborcapital.com to learn more. And don't forget to subscribe to the Active Advisor on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts to stay up to date on investment trends, tried and tested research methods, and what your industry peers are up to. From all of us at Harbor Capital, thanks for tuning in. And now for important disclosures, this material is for informational purposes and is not intended to be relied upon as a forecast, research or investment advice and is not a recommendation, offer or solicitation to buy or sell any securities or adopt any investment strategy. The opinions expressed are as of 13th of July 2023 and are subject to change. The opinions expressed by the speakers do not necessarily represent the views of Harbour Capital Advisors, Inc. The information and opinions contained in this material are derived from proprietary and non-proprietary sources deemed by Harbour Capital Advisors, Inc. to be reliable and are not necessarily all-inclusive and are not guaranteed as to accuracy. This material may contain forward-looking information that is not purely historical in nature. Such information may include, among other things, projections and forecasts. There is no guarantee that any of these views will come to pass. This material may not be representative of the experience of other individuals. Reliance upon information in this material is at the sole discretion of the viewer. This material is not legal, tax or accounting advice. Please consult with a qualified professional for this type of advice. Investing involves risk including the risk of loss. Stock markets are volatile and equity values can decline significantly in response to adverse issuer, political, regulatory, market and economic conditions. Fixed income investments are affected by interest rate changes and the creditworthiness of issuers. As interest rates rise, the values of fixed income securities are likely to decrease. Specific companies and issuers are mentioned for educational purposes only and should not be deemed a recommendation to buy or sell any securities. Any companies mentioned do not necessarily represent current or future holdings of any investment products. Harbour Capital Advisors Inc. does and may seek to do business with companies covered in this podcast. As a result, listeners should be aware that the firm may have a conflict of interest that could affect the objectivity of this podcast. This material is prepared by Harbour Capital Advisors, Inc. Harbour Capital Advisors, Inc. is not affiliated with Axial Family Advisors. 
All trademarks or product names mentioned herein are the property of their respective owners. Copyright 2023, Harbour Capital Advisors, Inc. All rights reserved.